Good morning, Communitas Church. Uh, it's a little bit of a different Sunday than usual. Um, obviously, we're not meeting in person. It's probably pretty clear to everybody that I'm not Pastor Mike. We are not located at 824 Laurel Street in Brainerd. We're uh, actually at our house out here in Merrifield. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Pence. I serve as one of the, as one of the elders on the, on the board here at church, along with uh, Lonnie Smith and Chuck Mills. And uh, so today we're going to just want to go through a couple announcements, and then we'll get into the service. Um, so we're not going to be meeting in person, obviously, today, and we're not going to be meeting in person next week. Uh, some, of the, some of the folks in the worship team either have come down with COVID or have come in contact with somebody who does have it. And so we just wanted to be um, safe and um, have more of a, of a distant virtual gathering today. There'll be some information coming out either uh, by email or, you know, check maybe for um, some uh, video from Pastor Mike maybe on Facebook. Um, but even though we're not meeting in person, we still need volunteers. Uh, we still need folks at church to help, you know, especially during these worship morning times when uh, the folks that are there could use backups and could use some help. Uh, so if you are willing to do that, please get a hold of Pastor Mike, mike.gary at communitaschurch.com. That's Gary with two R's, mike.gary. And in addition, um, you know, our church operates on the generous giving um, from the church. So um, feel free uh, to send in your, continue to send your checks in to 824 Laurel Street in Brainerd or go to communitaschurch.com and feel free to uh, um, donate there. So today's service is going to look a little different, but we're going to try to keep it as similar as, as we have in the past. Um, we're going to be blessed today by my daughter Isabel here. She's going to be leading us in worship this morning through singing. Uh, my son Micah, my oldest, he's going to be then reading the scripture after communion today. And as I mentioned, we'll be doing communion. So now would be a great time, if you haven't, to go and um, get some sort of a solid or a liquid. You know, a lot of times we'll use, um, you know, a cracker and juice. Feel free to be creative. Um, and then um, I'll be uh, presenting the message today. Um, we'll be talking about exile and the exile of Israel um, into Assyria and Babylon. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for, uh, for you, and we're thankful for your love for our church. Lord, we know that um, these are stressful times. Um, we're, we can't get together we can't gather as a church family, but uh, Father, where, where we are, um, you are there also. So I pray, Lord, that you'll bless, bless this time and bless this service. Lord, I pray um, for your Holy Spirit to be active and to be um, convicting and, and working in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Isabel. That was, uh, that was wonderful. I hope everybody out there... Um, Really appreciated that. She, she's just done such a nice job with that. So again, welcome to Communitas Church. Uh, you know, worship occurs in many different ways. You know, um, typically we think of worship a lot of times as what we just did with Isabel singing. But uh, just gathering today is another example of that. You know, our, our prayer, uh, giving of tithes and offerings, all those are, are different ways that we can uh, um, get into, um, you know, into worshiping our Lord. It doesn't matter if you're in person or if you're doing it virtually like we are through Facebook Live. I don't find it a coincidence today that uh, we are meeting in person. We're exiled from church, and that's what we're talking about as, the, as our sermon topic today. God is not located in a building. He's not located in, in our building downtown. 
you know, he's not relegated to any, um, any spot. God is where his people are. Uh, you know, so we're, we're constantly talking at church, kind of we have a, a, a big three things that we're, we're focusing on quite a bit. And, uh, and the, it's, it's the idea of gather, and then we grow, and then we go. And so I just went to the church website this morning to see, you know, we have a section here that talks just about gathering, and what, and what, does the, what do we say about that? So I'm just going to read that to us. Um, our gathering at 10 a.m. on Sundays is a group of people working together to uniquely express the gospel in their area um, is what we call a gathering. And it's led by leaders from Communitas who have a heart to reach their local area. These people gather together for learning, equipping, worship, training, and to jointly serve in their area. We welcome a come-as-you-are environment. Whether you are full of joy, sadness, anger, or just simply have questions, we would love for you to join us. You don't have to be someone you're not. Just be you. God loves you right where you're at, and we hope to do the same. If you're new here to Communitas, uh, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Um, there's a lot of, of really neat people um, that attend this church, and uh, as you go through the service today, if you have questions or thoughts, feel free to reach out to, to Pastor Mike or to maybe one of us elders if you have questions. Um, we'd love to just, just be able to talk with you, pray, pray with you if you have some, some things you'd like to pray about. So um, feel free to reach out. We, we're, here to, uh, we're here to serve you. Uh, the next thing we do um, at Communitas through our service is to do communion. And uh, this is a reminder, if you haven't yet, go get yourself a solid and a liquid. Um, again, this is, a, uh, this is one of the sacraments that we're commanded to do in the Bible. Uh, one of those is uh, uh, baptism, believer's baptism, and the other is to do communion. And uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to do that. You don't have to uh, go through that process. All we ask you to do is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who has um, admitted their sins and, and are repentant and are a follower of Jesus. Um, so why do we do communion? Why is that so important? The first thing we do for um, is just to remember uh, the death of Christ. He, when we're going through the end times before he goes to, uh, to be crucified, uh, he says to, uh, you know, this is my body and this is, you know, and the cup which is the, 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 the covenant. The new covenant which we're going to talk about here in just a little bit more. Um, again, this is to signify our new covenant. You know, Jesus... Uh, is the fulfillment of what was discussed in the in the Old Testament, um, and we're going to be going over that a little bit today uh, through the exile. And then again, a big part about communion is just that public affirmation or that public showing of um, of, of your belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, it's not something that we do under darkness. We don't do it in a room. We do it for all the world to see. It's really a profession of our faith, and it's, it's to encourage us as a group of believers that we are unified. And that this is, uh, this is, as a group, this is what we believe in. So um, what we're going to do right now is we're just going to take a quick moment of silence um, to just quiet our hearts and listen to what the Lord might have to say to us during this time. Isabel is going to just uh, play, a, play a little bit of music during this time. Um, hold on to the elements. I'll come back in, in a minute or two, and we'll then um, partake of them together. So in, in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 26, verse 26, Jesus says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, 
gave thanks and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood for the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we're grateful for communion and the representation that it does for your body and for the blood that you poured out for us, Father. Um, thank you, Lord, that you have put these, these sacraments in place to, to, to remind us of, of the great things that you've done for us and to, to show those around us our belief and, and how you are the um, light of the world and the Savior to all. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, um, we're going to have my oldest son, Micah, come up, and he's going to read us uh, a few passages of Scripture today. I'm going to be reading Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18, 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 21, and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to a foreign god of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and the covenants I made with them. And in that day I will become angry and then forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on because our God is not with us? And I will ask, and I will certainly hide my face in the day because of all their wickedness and turning to other gods. Now I'll be reading Second Chronicles 36, 11 through 21. <clears throat> Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil things in the eyes of the Lord. His God did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord of the God of our ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Because he had pity on his people and on the dwelling and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave, gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and treasures of the king and his officials. Now I'll be reading Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I have made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because 
they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Thank you, Micah. I uh, appreciate that. And Lord, we're so grateful for, um, for the Word, for your for the, the Bible that we have the freedom to read, Lord. Um, we pray for those in other parts of the world who don't have that, Lord, that you will um, keep their faith strong, that you will provide um, opportunities for them to have access to the Bible, Lord, and help us, Lord, to never take it for granted. Help us, Lord, to always be grateful for um, to have the Bible and, and to be able to read it without um, persecution. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, the concept of exile in Minnesota is definitely something that we as Minnesotans understand. Uh, Minnesota winters here can seem like exile. It feels like a lot of times we're on a, a cold, desolate planet, uh, even made worse this year by setting record for snow in October. Uh, if it had not melted um, with this last batch when it was about 70 degrees, I was doing a little bit of math in my head, we would be looking at around seven months of having snow on the ground. Um, I like snow. Uh, my wife doesn't like snow so much. Um, but it's that cold, too, that gets to you. Um, the COVID pandemic has definitely caused exile. Um, for some, it's been exile from work. Uh, for us, uh, like today, it's been exile from gathering in person. Um, a lot of our, of our elderly folks have been exiled in nursing homes and, and with an inability to be visited, to go see, uh, to go see them. Megan's uh, grandma um, recently passed away, and the last time we actually got to see her would have been back in March. Um, so it's... Uh, um, the, you know, exile can come in many different shapes and forms. Probably the most painful exile that I can think of is being a Vikings fan. Uh, we all know very well what it's like to be exiled from the promised land to never get a Super Bowl. So since January, we've been going through the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. I personally have not spent a lot of time in the Old Testament prior to this, um, but I will say that this series has probably been one of the more interesting um, ones that I've had a chance to participate in. Um, I guess what it has shown me is how God's plan of redemption started in the Old Testament. It didn't start at Christmas. It didn't start, um, you know, when we celebrate, um, you know, um, Jesus coming to, to, to live with us. Um, God had this plan for the centuries, and that's just been a real eye-opening um, experience for me through this. So, you know, as we've been studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, we've been studying as, as Israel was leaving Egypt, and then um, heading over to where God had promised them to go to the promised land. And then um, they make some errors. They, and then God says, well, we're going to walk around the wilderness for another four years because we've got some more things to learn until you're ready to step into that next step of moving into the promised land. Um, you know, then last week we read a little bit about uh, King David and King Solomon, kind of, you know, Israel at its high point where, you know, they're somebody at this point. They're, they're known in the area. They're, you know, God is with them and, and God is with David and Solomon, and you know, the temple is built, but you can sense as you get towards the end of that, there is, there's trouble on the horizon. God has been sending prophets to talk to the kings for years. You know, um, as we get closer towards the exile, um, you hear a lot of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and they're warning God, uh, warning Israel of God's impending judgment uh, if they continue to not follow the law. The kings don't listen, and repeatedly, over and over, they do what is sinful in the eyes of the Lord. We'll talk more about 
what that looks like a little bit later. Um, so finally the punishment comes, but it comes in phases. It doesn't come all at one, all at one time. So you have first the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel because there was a split where, where Israel split and Judah was, was the kingdom to the south. And so you first had Israel to the north, and then about 135 years later, give or take, um, that's when um, Judah goes into um, Babylonian um, exile. So it was around the, the first, the first uh, attack on the northern kingdom was around 732, um, and that's when uh, there began, captives began to be taken away from Israel and moved to Assyria. About 10 years later, in 722, uh, King Sennacherib, he uh, um, came in and um, finally did the last of the deportations, took the rest of the people away, and then Samaria, which was the capital, was ultimately destroyed. The thing to keep in mind about Israel to the north was that they were not given the opportunity to go home. As we'll find as we look further, especially uh, into next week about the temple, and that um, we'll see that Israel doesn't get to come back home, but Judah does. Uh, the Babylonian, uh, the, the next exile happens when Babylon comes in and overtakes Assyria. At that point, Judah was really not a sovereign nation. It was under the, uh, had, the had the oversight of Assyria. There were, there was, the money was being paid to Assyria kind of in a way to, you know, for protection maybe to keep them safe. And, uh, um, and so then Babylon is now um, in charge in the area. And uh, this has happened around the late century uh, B.C., uh, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes in uh, and he destroys uh, the temple. He plunders Jerusalem. He takes the king Jehoiakim and all of his court and everybody back to Babylon. And then um, this was, I guess I should back up, this was before the temple was destroyed. So King Zedekiah was appointed a king in his place at that point. And again, Zedekiah did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar returned again and this time took everything down. Everything went down from the walls. Um, the temple was taken down, and uh, uh, King Zedekiah was blinded and taken to Babylon um, with, with, the, with the others. When our kids were young, I used to read uh, Bible stories to the kids at bedtime, and I'll never forget when we were reading some of the Old Testament stories about how the kings were, you know, wouldn't listen to God and, and that, and, uh, and it was really funny because Micah would, he would, I remember one night he looked at me and goes, again? They didn't listen to the Lord again? And I always just thought that was really so, so interesting to me that a child could really recognize the sin that was happening and how that was separating them from, from the Lord. And uh, um, even a child could see that problem. Um, but as always, and we'll learn further down, um, God, uh, he always has the answer. Micah read for us today Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18. And this is right at the end of the life of Moses. He has you know, um, led, the, led the Israelites, he's led them out of Egypt, and, and now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Um, he's not able to go because of when he was to, when he smacked the rock with his staff, he was not, he was supposed to just use his voice, and, and the Lord said that was disobedient, and so um, he lost out on that. Um, but what was interesting was that uh, the Lord says to Moses, um, you know, this is going to be your resting place, and oh, by the way, these people, they're going to fall away. They're going to prostitute themselves. They're going to not follow me. They're going to, you know, um, they're going to follow, fall away from me. And I just go back to, I'm, wondering, I'm thinking for Moses, what would that be like? You know, all this time and effort that you put into this, 
into these people and you get to the point of where things are going well and they're going to go off into, into the promised land. And the Lord says, yeah, no, but guess what? Uh, this doesn't end well for them. Um, I, uh, I think a lot about when, as you read through um, the books of, of, of like in Second Kings where they find um, the Old Testament law that's, that's in the temple and, and they read it and all the people are... Are repentant and they want to they want to come around. Well, this verse was there, you know. So it's like, how would you? How would they have you know reconciled this verse when they read that? You know, through all the different things and they read. Oh, by the way, the people are going to go are going to fall away from the Lord and they're going to be punished. Um, it's really interesting to me how uh, God uh, did give Josiah a reprieve in Second Kings twenty two. He did you know he did repent, but just three chapters later, Judah is taken captive to Babylon and the city temple are destroyed. So why did Judah go into exile? Why did Israel go into exile? Um, I'm going to uh, read right now out of Ezekiel 16, 51 through 52. And it says, Samaria did not commit half the sins you did. You have done more detestable things than they, and have made your sisters seem righteous by all these things you have done. Bear your disgrace, for you have furnished some justification for your sisters. Because your sins were more vile than theirs, they appear more righteous than you. So then be ashamed and bear your disgrace, for now you have made your sisters appear righteous. Samaria was the northern capital of, uh, or was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they were the first ones that were taken into exile, 722 BC, about 130 years, give or take, before Judah went into exile through uh, Babylon. And, you know, why, why, did it, why did Israel go first? Why did Judah go second? You know, um, I'm not sure the real reason why. I think it was just a matter of the sins that were there, and I think you know, part of me says that the, the you know the the, bad, the 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 folks that were left over in Judah, you know, um, were probably pretty proud that they hadn't been taken into exile yet, that they were still um, in their country. And when Ezekiel says your sins are twice as bad as that of Samaria, um, that had to have been a real slap in the face to those folks in Judah, but not enough of a slap in the face to get them to really change. Um, you know, to change their ways. Now, you think about exile and, and how, how painful that would be to be taken from your country and moved to a, to a different land. Um, but this is not the first time um, that we see exile in the Bible. You go back to Genesis, uh, where Adam and Eve are exiled from the Garden of Eden because of, uh, of their sinful behaviors. You know, you've got Cain. He's exiled um, from his family because of uh, that he killed his brother Abel. Noah, he was exiled um, away from... Uh, from his people in the boat when the Lord came in and set the flood to destroy the world. Uh, Jacob, he was exiled. He had to get away from his brother Esau, so his mom sent him to live with her brother Laban. Joseph was exiled when his brothers sold, um, sold him into slavery into Egypt over jealousy. Uh, Israel itself was in exile in Egypt for, for years, for hundreds of years. And, uh, and then they were in the desert for 40 years, another time of exile. You know, they're not in exile you know, under King David and Solomon during that, during that snapshot in time, but exile is a, is a topic understood well uh, by the Israelites. But then you have to ask the question yourself, well, what caused that exile? And we're going to look at Ezekiel 20, uh, 7 through 13. And what this really is, this whole chapter is just about Ezekiel basically being honest with them and saying, here's what you've done wrong. I could read the whole chapter, it would take too long, but I just pulled a real a short little section out of it to try and highlight what I think are probably um, 
the keys to what are, what are some of the key sins that they had. Um, and so verse 7 starts, And I said to them, Each of you, get rid of the vile image you have set your eyes on, and do not defy yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I did what I did. I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nation they lived among and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt. Therefore I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I also gave them my Sabbath as a sign because between us, so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the desert. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws. Although the man who obeys them will live by them, and they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the desert. There's other passages in here. That's just a short little snippet of, of coming out of Egypt and being in the wilderness. But that's really a summary of what it was that the Lord had been warning Egypt or warning Israel about for years and years and years. Um, they, what they did is they rebelled against the Lord through idolatry. And the second... Uh, they have, they have not walked uh, in his statutes, they have not followed the law, and they have profaned God's Sabbath. Um, so it was, it, it's interesting to me as I, as I was reading through this to see, you know, it's not saying that you have violated all of the Ten Commandments. You know, he, God really selected two of them out of here to, to be, you know, of what was probably the most important. And that was idolatry, and the other was, um, you know, to profane the Sabbath. And I thought it odd, you know, idolatry I get, right? It makes sense, you've, you've, there's something that you're worshiping that's not God, but profaning the Sabbath, you know, that's basically, you know, honoring God by taking a rest, you know, one day a week. Um, so if you, you know, to, I think to, to maybe put into an idea of what it means to profane the Sabbath, you know, I think it, may, it means to make that day common. It, it means to make that day just like any other day that you would have. It's not a... It's not a, a special day set aside. I mean, if we go back into Genesis, into the very beginning, God creates a Sabbath there. He rests. And so if the Lord of the universe needs rest, we probably do also. Um, I think what this shows with the Lord is that, you know, obviously we're always worried about product. You know, what do we do? How do we make? You know, what we produce is important. But for the Lord, that's not always the key. For him, I think he's more, more concerned about process. How do you get there? How do we get to where the Lord wants us to be? The process of getting there is just as important as the product. When we go back to the idea of idolatry, um, you know, again, this is probably the, the number one sin, I think, that was really pulling the Israelites away from God. It was something that they had struggled with in Egypt. You know, they get out of Egypt and... All of a sudden, Moses goes up the goes up the mountain to talk to the Lord, and boom, they make a they, you know they start to make idols, you know the golden calf and that. So I mean, idolatry is something that um, this country these these folks give into really quickly and easily. Um, and so I would I would not say that the other parts of the Ten Commandments aren't important or they're not you know something that is important to the Lord. But I think that the idea of of idolatry and this idea of forsaking your you know the, the Sabbath are are root causes and all the other aspects of the Ten Commandments would come from that. So things like, you know, um, 
respecting your, your mother and father and, and stealing and lying and those things. Those are all, I think, that come from that idea of idolatry and the Sabbath. So idolatry, what, what is that? What, is, what, you know, what does idolatry look like? I mean, I think it's easy for us to say, well, idolatry is when I put a little, a little stone item on a shelf and I worship that. That is what um, idolatry is. And what idolatry really is, I think, is an outward manifestation of our heart. I mean, idolatry starts in our heart. It's where do we put our attention, where do we put our time, where we put our money towards. And to be honest, and this is you know, a struggle in my life, I think it's a refusal to relinquish control and to submit to God. Idolatry is what happens uh, when God is not in control. Idols are... Idols, you know, I, so I, Megan and I were missionaries in Madagascar, and we came... Um, a lot of the indigenous folks there really were into, um, you know, um, having idols and, and, and worship them. And we would come across some of these areas, and we would, we would be in the jungle, and we'd come across some of these idols, and literally it was like a rock. And you walk up, and, and you're like, this is the, the, the mission, like, this is a big deal. This, this is one of, their, one of their bigger, you know, graven images. And, uh, and I just remember Megan and I looking at her going, really? I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a big rock, you know, and... Um, but, you know, for them, that was what their idols were. But for us, it can be things like, I can be my own idol. I can be worried about myself. You know, my spouse can be my idol. Um, children, money, job, sports. Maybe I'm more worried about, you know, catching the sports section on Sunday morning instead of reading the Bible. Um, it's anything that puts your attention away from God. And I think too many times um, we get the idea that it has to be really bad. It has to be really evil. It has to be... You know, something that's just really hideous and atrocious. And the truth is, it doesn't be. It doesn't have to be that. It has to be simply something that takes your attention off God. You know, so because of these sins and because of the things that um, the, the Israelites had been doing, um, God had been telling them through the different prophets that if you guys keep doing this, punishment is going to happen. There's going to be punishment. Um, it's not going to go well for you. And, and so, why does God choose exile? You know, in the back, in, in, uh, for Noah's time, that punishment for those people was that he just, he just eliminated them. He just flooded the whole world except for Noah and his family. But God promised at that time he wasn't going to do that again. So this is another, you know, this is another uh, punishment for the, for the sins of the people against God. God leads us to our choices, right? I mean, I think that's the beautiful part about being a believer in Jesus. It's, we're not robots. We're not programmed where we have to just, you know, love God because we have to. It's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, we love God because of what he's done for us. And, and we act our life out um, in, 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 you know, in because of that. If I were to tell you that, you know, all the things that I'm saying today, you know, this next point here, I think, is just the, the, really the key of the sermon. And the, the, really the key thing I want you to take away is that um, God is of an unapproachable holiness. I don't think we in our Western civilization realize just how amazing God is, how holy he is, and how truly set apart he is from us. Um, he can only put up with sin for so long, right? I mean, he can, for him to be around sin is like, you know, um, fire and ice. It's, it's just counterproductive. It, it's opposite. It's something that he can't be around. But he gives warnings. He lovingly gives warnings and says, you've got to turn your ways. But if you don't, punishment will come. Um, so, you know, 
how serious does God see our sin? I don't think, I don't think sometimes, at least for me, I recognize just when I sin what that means to God and how he perceives that. It's something that, you know, we as, as believers, you know, some, we, we can blow it off. We can say, oh, Jesus forgives my sins and, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. I can continue doing, you know, um, doing what I want. Um, but there's a German theologian, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he had this to say. You know, and this was what he was referring to as, as the concept of, of cheap grace. You know, grace that, um, that comes without uh, repentance and that. And this is what he had to say. The preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. It's one of those things where God is amazingly holy. And um, the fact that he wants to have a relationship with us should be one of those things that our minds can't comprehend. But... Our sinful, our sin is what creates that gap between us and God. So God's in this position now of where he's been telling the people, you know what, you've got to stop doing this. Turn, turn back to me. Stop doing this. Turn back to me. He keeps, I mean, repeatedly saying it. Like Micah kept saying as a kid, how many times? When are they going to learn? You know, it, it, they aren't going to learn on their own. And that, that, was, that was the big message. So what does it take to get the, what does it take to get your attention? What does it take for, for God to um, really show you um, that he's serious, that he means business? You know, for the Lord, he, you know, uh, God is willing to burn his house down. He's willing to have his city destroyed. You know, he was willing to do this. He was, he was willing to leave the temple. He was willing to actually physically, his spirit was no longer in the temple. So why would that be? Why would God's spirit no longer be in the temple? Because the people weren't there. The people weren't in the temple, right? The people had left. They were, if you read, when you read through Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you see these terms about defiling the temple. They were doing things in the temple that um, were far from being something that God had commanded in the law. And it was, you know, it was appalling. It was sinful. And so God left, but he's still with the people. He hasn't left the people. The people have left him. And I think that's a message that a lot of us have in our life is that, you know, we can, um, you know, ask God, where are you at, Lord? Where are you? And a lot of times the Lord's like, I'm right here. Are you going to come alongside me? That's the big question. Um, so how far will God go to bring his people back? Far enough to kick him out of the country and send him into exile for years. Seventy years is what was, was what is how long they were gone for before the Persians came into, into uh into power and were to um, begin to allow um, folks to come back and start rebuilding the temple and start rebuilding the wall and that. And that's a discussion that we'll be having next week um, about that. But, you know, today we're talking about them actually just taking the exile and what that means. Um, God is, is, you know, wanting to root out the sin in the folks. And exile, I believe, is a way that he's using... Um, to get their attention. So I know, like, when I used to read the Old Testament, I just read a lot of rules and a lot of things. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And I always felt it was really negative. And so I, I didn't really read much in the Old Testament because of that reason. But um, as you read through it, as usual, you begin to find out that God has a plan. And, uh, you know, God is never resting. He always has a plan for us. Um, 
And so we're gonna, I'm going to read uh, Jeremiah uh, 31, chapter 31, verse 31 and 32. And uh, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is not a renewal of the previous covenants that God had put in place with the Israelites. You know, the, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses. Those were covenants that the people had things to do. They were responsible part of it. God was responsible part of it. The people could never hold up their end of the bargain. That covenant has been broken repeatedly um, by the Israelites. If you jump forward, though, into, into the book of Matthew, um, it's the passage that uh, Jesus uh, at the Lord's Supper while they were eating, Jesus took bread and, and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. Um, you know, I've read these passages um, for years, and you know, about this covenant, like, oh yeah, Jesus got a covenant with us, and, and you know, he's going to sacrifice and die on the cross for our sins. I didn't put it together that this is a culmination of what was discussed back in the Old Testament with Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So this, the, the context of this now is so much more broad that um, it helps me to really understand what did that, what does the new covenant mean compared to the covenants that were in place prior the second point uh, is that God will put his law in the heart of his people. I think this is probably one of the other key points I think we really need to focus on today. Uh, I think as, as Christians, we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, the Israelites back in their time, um, you know, God was with them. They, they had the, the tabernacle and God was there, you know, um, fire by night, cloud by day. God was there, but... but um, the people, God didn't dwell with the people. They weren't, you know, they weren't his temple. They weren't like we are today. They, they're not the tabernacle, you know. Um, at that point, there was still this big, this, big, this big gap between the people and God because there was no way to get across that. There was no bridge available to the Israelites. So they had to do these, so God gave them the law. He gave them these different things to do to... to to be a, a to try and atone for their sins on a temporary basis, but it wasn't able to be permanent. Um, the, those those sacrifices that the Israelites were doing back then were uh, were not an ultimate sacrifice that only Jesus could provide the new covenant. We have the Spirit of God within us, and that is the part that helps us to obey and follow what the Lord commands us to do. The Israelites didn't have that; they were left to to pretty much their own. Um, their own demise, their own choices. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and I think that is something that um, we need to recognize and truly 
ask ourselves, have we given our life to the Lord enough that the Holy Spirit is the one guiding us, giving us wisdom, leading us as we go through life? If we go back to Jeremiah again, um, I think that uh, verse, chapter 31, verse 33, again, I just want to read that again. Um, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So I think when God is referring to that, that's a, refer- that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. That is, that is God putting the law on our hearts. That is that, is that happening um, to us because we as, as people are unable to follow the law. We can't do it. If, if, if we were today to try to follow the law, all the different things that are listed from the sacrifices to all the other ordinances and requirements that the Lord has, none of us could make it. None of us could pass that. Um, if we jump over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, there it is. Hebrews 10, 16. Um, actually, it'll be, let's read 15... Through 18. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. This is a reference back to Jeremiah 31. If we don't have that context, this verse doesn't have the same meaning without having that context. Um, again, as I, as I said before, the Holy Spirit is that power within us that God, that's the law that God puts on our hearts. Um, God's Spirit, uh, um, it's, what, it's what we need to fight sin and to fight that temptation and to fight um, not following the Lord's, uh, you know, the, the, the ways of the Lord. And it's, but the, the Holy Spirit is also there to, to guide us and to, and to, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit enlightens us and and, and the word has, has meaning as we learn the depth of, of what the word says. Um, ancient Israel did not have that. They did not have the Holy Spirit um, on their hearts. Point number three I want to make today is that uh, God will forgive the sins of his people. I think that's a point that everybody wants. Everybody wants to know that their sins are forgiven. Um, and it's, it's not just that you know atonement that were, was done on a yearly basis by the high priests or the, the sacrifices that they were making to, to remain in that right relationship with God. This is an ultimate sacrifice, um, the full restoration of the people. And that jumps back again into Jeremiah 31, verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me for the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So under this new covenant, under this new covenant that Jesus is, is, is shepherding in, um, God will forgive our iniquities and no longer remember sin. I mean, just, the, just that concept of not only does he forgive it, he doesn't remember it. How many times have you been in a relationship with somebody where somebody has wronged you bad? They've done something that was really hurtful. You know in your heart, right, that you're supposed to, to forgive that because that's, that's your responsibility in that type of relationship is to, is to forgive that. But it's not easy to forget, right? You, 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 when you're around that person, I've forgiven you, but I'm, I'm going to be a little cautious around you. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to stand back. I remember what happened. I've forgiven you, but I remember. 
when the Lord says he forgives, not only does he forgives, he doesn't remember. That truly shows the depth and the love of God of how much he really, really, um, just just the, how far he is willing to go to have that relationship with us. Because it's, it's my thought, the Lord can't have that relationship with us. If, even if he forgives us, but still remembers our sin, I'm not sure we can have that relationship with him just because of that aspect of remembering the sin that we've done. God has completely wiped away our sin, and he has forgotten it. So Jesus inaugurates in this new covenant with his, with his blood being shed, death, and resurrection. If we jump back into Hebrews again, and we're going to look at chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their people, and they will be my. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will remember their wickedness, and I will, uh, for I will forgive their sickness, their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, He has made the first one obsolete, and was obsolete in aging will soon disappear. Again, another reference back to Jeremiah. Um, you know. My life has a lot of, of things in common with this exile. You know, for me, um, I've always struggled with um, being satisfied in life, with having joy, of being, being happy where I am. I've always looked to the next thing. Oh, if I can just do this, I'll be happy. Oh, if I just get married, I'll be happy. Oh, if I just, you know, if I, if I can just have, uh, have kids, oh, that'll be what I'm looking for. Um, you know, it, it, it's been always this next thing I've been looking for, you know, to make me happy. I got married to Megan. We got married back in 1999. Um, I became a, I accepted Jesus uh, back in 2000. Um, but there's always been this struggle with me about where do I find my sense of joy? Where, where does that come from? So in 2008, um, we moved down here to Brainerd. We were living up in Walker. I had, I had lost my job and I got this new fancy job in Brainerd. And, it brought a lot of prestige. People really knew me. I was making more money. I had a nice house. Um, I had some power. I had authority over certain things, and that became an idol. That became an idol for me so quick. I was so proud to see my name in the newspaper, to, to hear my name on the radio, or to, to be on the TV sometimes, all these things. And, and it was, it was so, um, I was so proud of that. It was, it was such a big deal. Um, but that began to take away from a lot of things in my life. That became so important. And it became important to the detriment of my marriage, to the detriment of my family, and to the detriment, more importantly, of my relationship with the Lord. Recently, you know, Caleb's had, a, had has brittle bone disease, for those of you who don't know, which means he breaks bones a lot. And he recently had an accident back in August, and he took a tumble and really hurt himself. We had to get air flighted down to the cities. And um, I just remember at that point being like, God... I'm upset. Would it, why would you do this to my son? Why would you do that? And just being really, really angry and upset about that. And um, so a friend of ours said, well, I, I know somebody who's a, who, who's a counselor. He just talks to people about stuff like this. And, 
and uh, I went up and I've been meeting with him for the last few months and um, he's, he's, he's been asking me, so, so how's your relationship with the Lord? I'm like, good, you know, fine. He's like, well, tell me about it. And I tried to tell him about it and I didn't, I didn't have much to say. I, I, I didn't have a whole lot to say. He goes, he, goes I, he was basically accusing me of having a lot of head knowledge about the Lord, but I was struggling with where he was in my heart. And, uh, you know, I think that was something, that's something that I've been struggling with. And now I realize that I was, I was taking God and I was setting him off to the side, kind of like my little genie in the bottle, right? He was over here. And if I needed something, I'd go to him. You know, if I needed to put something, I'd put a quarter in and I'd ask. And if I didn't get it, I'd be like, oh, geez, God, what, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? You know, but there wasn't this relationship thing. It wasn't this knowing God thing. It was this, it was this expectation of what God could do for me. Um, you know, we do a, we've been doing a family devotion lately, and we've been listening to this guy named Tim Tebow. Uh, maybe some of you know him. He's a, he's a athlete, college athlete, played some in the NFL. Super good guy, motivational speaker now. And, um, but he's a Christian guy, and, and he, he had a comment the other day in one of our devotions that we, that we watched in another video. And he said, it's not who you are, but whose you are. And we had to hit pause for a second. We had to take a step back and say, what? What, what did he say? Is that even proper English? You know, but we had to step back and say, it's, it's, it's the concept of it's not who I am, but whose I am. Who do I belong to? And if you don't have the Lord to hold on to, if you have these worldly things to hold on to, they're not solid. They're not, um, it's, it's not an anchor. You know, have you gone through your wilderness moment? Have you, uh, have you uh, experienced tough times? I'm sure we all have. You know, um, how does that impact your view of God? If your view of God is such that he is there to just give you what you want, when you want, kind of a genie in the bottle thing, you're going to be disappointed because that's not the relationship that God wants with you. God wants to have that relationship with you where you're talking to him, your life is about him, you're devoted to, to what, he, what he calls you to do. Um, uh, so lately, for me with Caleb, you know, um, I've, I've been carrying a lot of burdens. A lot of these burdens I've been carrying for years. And, you know, I was reading the passage in Matthew where Jesus says, my, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I always read that going, I don't even know what that means. But I read that about maybe three months ago and I just clicked and went, really? Is it really? And so I remember saying, Lord, I, I can't do this. Will you take it? And I just remember this feeling in my heart saying, I got this. I've been waiting for you to give this to me. I've been here the whole time. And so if there are things on your heart that are just weighing there, Jesus is there and he's willing to take that. He is willing to take that. I tell you, I have never felt so free. I'm getting used to it. You know, it's, it's not perfect. You can ask my wife. You know, I'm kind of a troublesome husband sometimes. You know, it can be kind of a pain in the butt. You should be a, you know, buying her coffee as a reward for putting up with me over the years. But I tell you, it's having that freedom has improved my relationship with my wife. It's improved... I, I'm not holding these burdens that I used to have. God has established this kingdom through Jesus, through this new covenant. It's established. God, Jesus doesn't ask us to build his kingdom, right? The kingdom is built. God is asking us to acknowledge that, to participate into that, to accept that. I wasn't there. I was building. I was a builder, but I wasn't building God's kingdom. I was building my kingdom. Um, God's kingdom is nothing new. God has been building his kingdom for years. God doesn't call us to build his kingdom. He doesn't call us to 
to, um, to do anything that's going to make us better or, or more appealing to the Lord. Jesus took care of that. Jesus' sacrifice did that. Um, that atonement. So that's when Jesus, when God is now, our sins are forgiven and he doesn't remember them. He doesn't see them. He just sees us as we are through Jesus. Coming to faith uh, in Christ means to acknowledge that we are a nobody. And for me, that is nearly impossible to do. I, I was raised in a family where you worked hard, you got what you got, and you put the effort in, and nobody did anything for you. And I'm proud of that. And I'm, I'm grateful for the raise, upraising that my parents gave me. Um, but for me, that has become an idol. That was something that was, I can do it. I didn't need the Lord because I could take care of it. I can do this. And, and, and God let me do it for years, right? Years and years the Lord let me do it. He let me be on my own. In the last couple of years, last few years, probably the last even more than that, God's been, some things have been happening to me. And God's like, are you sure you got this? And I'm over here, I'm, I'm getting wrecked, right? I'm getting, I'm getting creamed, but I'm going, yeah, I got this. Oh, you know, I got this, I got this, I can do it. And I just keep getting weighted under this, this burdens that I couldn't handle. But in my mind, I said I did. I said I can. And it turns out that I can't. So the question is, is are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to say, my, my value, who I am, is because of what Jesus has done uh, in my life? It's not who I am, but it's whose I am. Whom, whom do I belong to? And I belong to the Lord. Um, can you be okay with, if, if nobody in society thinks that you're somebody with power and authority, can you humble yourself to do that? I was reading a, um, on Billy Graham last night, uh, billygram.com, and just really talking about uh, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. Um, Jesus looked at this, at this rich young ruler, and, and, he, and the ruler said, well, what, what does it take for me to get to heaven? And Jesus said, give up all you have and follow me. And he walked away sad. Um, he, he couldn't do it. Right? He had, he, there's no doubt that he, he might have done his best to follow the Ten Commandments, but he, he couldn't get past that, that idea of coveting or that sinful nature that he had. And um, I think Jesus' words in that area are a solemn warning to us um, that earthly success does not mean that you get to get into heaven. Um, you know, you can do all the greatest things in the world down here, but if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, none of that matters. None of that matters. So maybe today you're exiled from God. Maybe today you're, you're, you feel like you're so set away from God that there's no way he could forgive you. You don't know what I've done, you might say. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know all the rotten things that I've done. Or maybe you've got it all under control like I did. Maybe you don't need God. And maybe things are ready. Maybe you've got it covered. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence today that you're, that you're hearing this message. And I think this is the, the Holy Spirit kind of knocking on your door and... Um, and uh, possibly convicting you of some sin in your life, convicting you of a need that you're not enough, that you can't do it, convicting you that God loves you. He loves you enough to send his son down to die on the cross for your sins. Um, maybe God is asking you to repent and turn from a sin that you've got that's just been causing problems in your life. You know, we go through times in life and um, God can use those to further his kingdom and to, and to get our attention. So, so maybe today you're going, you know, 
I don't know about this Jesus thing, but I'm interested. Um, I've tried my own. I've, tried, I've gone my own way. I can't do it anymore. And I'm willing to, I want to give my life to Jesus and let him take control. If you do, and if that's something you're interested in doing, um, this is just a simple prayer. I want you to pray with me right now. It's, it's not real complicated. It's very simple. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent, right? I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior forever. Amen. If that is a prayer that you prayed, there are rejoicing happening in heaven right now over one person coming to the Lord. Uh, if you made this decision today, you just made the biggest decision of your life. You may not realize that you're sitting in your living room, maybe you're sitting in your car, maybe you're using your phone. You have made the single most important decision you could ever make in your life, and I couldn't be more happy for you. If you have made this choice, um, or if there's something in your life that you would like, like prayer about or to talk to somebody about, feel free to reach out to, to Pastor Mike, to, to myself, to, to Chuck, or to Lonnie on the elder board. We'd love to pray for you. Um, we'd love for you to discuss you know, maybe the next steps in your walk with the Lord and what does it look like now that you've decided to become Jesus. The next thing that Jesus commands is to become a disciple. What's the next thing we do as we go along? Um, We all suffer through exile at some point in our life. It really matters how we respond to that exile and how we allow God to use us during that time. Today, you know, that's the closing of our sermon today. Um, there won't be a, a closing song like you would typically if you're in the church. Um, but I, I, go in peace. Um, I, I pray that you'll have a great week and look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.